Good morning, Fellowship High Crest. Good morning. Oh, man. You actually did pretty good this morning. But I wouldn't be myself if I let you go with just one time, though, right? Good morning, Fellowship High Crest. Amen, amen. It is good to be back with you this morning and, and, and good to be here. You know, this summer, um, we are uh, getting geared up for a couple of things and just want to spotlight those as I begin our time this morning. Um, the first one is we have family fun nights coming up and the first one is coming up this Wednesday night. And here's the thing, thing about that. We always want to give you an opportunity to practice what we teach. Discipleship is 10% content, 20% watching, and 70% experiencing. And so over the last couple of weeks, you've been hearing about sharing, like there's nothing to lose, giving, like there's nothing to lose, serving, like there's nothing to lose, considering others higher than yourself. So over this summer, each of these nights, there's three different ministry teams that are um, partnering together for each of these nights to make them happen. And so if you're on, for like, for instance, if you're on this first one, um, it's, it's children's ministry and youth ministry and the discipleship team who are partnering to host this first night. So if you are a part of that, then hopefully you are partnering to make that the best family fun night for our community possible because we're reaching out to our community. This is a time of celebration where we practice that rhythm. And hosting this just for a fun time for the family. So I'm hoping that if you're on those teams, that you're reaching out to your leader, asking what ways you can be serving and different things of that nature. If you're not on those teams, then your your leaders will be reaching out to you saying these are different ways that you can partner on the night that we are supposed to be hosting on those times coming up. Now, one of those things that's coming up that that is not a part of the Family Fun Nights, but a, a similar type of activity where we reach out to our community is... Um, we're going to actually be hosting a fireworks show here on July 5th. Yeah. Right? I grew up in neighborhoods where those kind of things always happen in other neighborhoods. Right? And so being able to provide things like that that may be out of reach for, for our families is, is just something that's tremendous that we're able to do that at our campus. And so um, we'll start having handouts and things that you can invite your family and friends to, those, to that fireworks thing um, starting actually next Wednesday. But you can, if you want invite cards for the family fun nights, we have those available, and our connections team can get those to you. Um, I want to say good morning once again. If this is your first time visiting High Crest and welcome you here, um, in your seats you'll see there are some blue Bibles. And as I speak today, there will be page numbers on the screen, and those page numbers correlate to the blue Bibles that are in your seat. If you don't have a Bible, please take that one as our gift to you. If you don't have one that's easy to read, please take that one as our gift to you. If you know someone who doesn't have a Bible that's easy to read or or don't have one at all, then please take that one as our gift to you. If you're here and a Spanish version of the text would help you better follow along with us, then we have those available. If you raise your hand, one of our ushers will get you a Spanish version of the text so that you can follow along. It is highly important to us that you can dive into God's word for yourself. And so last week, we started our current sermon series called Seeking Jesus in the Psalms. And Brian kicked it off with a wonderful sermon on Psalm 8. And if you missed that, I want to encourage you to either catch up on that through our app or online at our website um, and, and just get caught up on that. Psalms are Hebrew poetry, which is based on parallelism. 
And so in order to make the bridge, we're going to have a spoken word piece for each of the sermons that we do in this sermon series over the summer. So last week, Derek shared a piece, and this week, Braille will be sharing a piece in each of these sermons to kind of make the bridge of what our poetry looks like today versus what it looks like in the times of the writers. And so our passage for today comes from Psalm 22, and it's found on page 330 of those uh, blue Bibles that I've mentioned. And if you're not already there, if you will join me there and, and we'll begin to read our passage for this morning Once again, it's Psalm 22. It's found on page 330. Here's what it says. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? This is God's word. Lord, I did it again. No excuses, but feel like I'm addicted to sin. People calling me an inspiration because of my public actions. But they don't see my exasperation because I mask it. And I know it don't make sense, but that keep me hating. I feel like I'm saving everyone. No one's returning favors. Still get them late night cravings and the ones around to hit up. Know what they say a saint is, but what's the point to get up? Was reading with Randy over a beverage. And he was sharing with me the meaning of Romans 7. How Paul was right there with the vine, but was feeling severed. Trying to keep his flesh in line, but without a tether. Then you showed him there's a higher law than sin and death. The natural principle operating in our flesh and that's the law of the spirit since you entered us and we can turn to that and leave our bios in the dust and it makes sense because every time I struggle I make flagrant fouls man his flesh is for the birds got me pacing wondering are you so patient I wouldn't act like that they already say I love too hard I've let women treat me less than how you ever would and unintentionally done them no better or good and no apology could do what a metaphor should really change things but your love could and that's why I'm glad that you love me We live in a world of reduction and amplification. We live in, uh, we like to reduce things to less than they should be and, and magnify them to being larger than what they are. Such is the case when it comes to our emotions and our feelings. We live in a world that tells us that uh, either to be logical or to be emotional, to either um, think through things and, or to Um, really just go with what we feel. The truth is that we are made in God's image, and God is both logical and emotional. So while we are to be logical, we are also to be emotionally engaged. And while we are to be um, emotional creatures, we are to be more than just what we feel. And if we're being truthful, that even though we try as hard as we can to, to maintain balance, There are times when the intensity of our feelings and emotions causes us um, to be overtaken by what we're feeling at the time. Suffering is one of our emotions that is easy to lose our grip on, that is easy to become overwhelmed by, that that is easy to see ourselves as no more than our current circumstances. Is, uh, Is that where you find yourself today? And if so, if you find yourself in the midst of a season of suffering, today's message is for you. 
And if you're not there, if you've never experienced this, then then please lean in, lean in and take notes, because I assure you that one day you will come upon a time of suffering and you will need the words of this psalm to remind you of the God who loves you and who you are in him because of what he's done through his son, Jesus Christ. Now, there are two things I want you to know about this passage before we really get going this morning. And the first is this, is, is the word passion, when you see it in the scriptures, when, or people refer to it as the passions of Christ, that word passion actually means suffering. So when you say, hear someone say the passions of Christ, what it's actually referring to is the sufferings of Christ. And so therefore, we shouldn't be um, surprised when we go to a movie and see Jesus suffering. The title kind of gives it away. The next thing uh, you need to know is this. When, when, when the Gospels talk about the sufferings of Christ, um, there are actually 13 Old Testament scriptures that are quoted. Eight of those 13 come from the Psalms. Five of those eight come from Psalm 22. And here's the second thing you need to know about this passage. At the most climatic moment in Jesus' life, he cried out the first words of this song. Now, back in those days, they didn't have uh, verse chapters or, or um, verses or chapters and numbers for all that. They didn't even have titles for the books. So when someone wanted to refer to a passage or a section of Scripture, what they would do is they would quote the first part of it as meaning as I'm referring to all of this, what was happening. So when you see Jesus quote um, the beginning of Psalm 22 while he's on the cross, what he's doing is he's actually not just referring to verse 1, but he's referring to the entirety of Psalm 22. And so if this is the case, then Jesus at this most climatic moment of his life, when he's saying this, is he saying Psalm 22 is what I'm all about. Psalm 22 tells about what I came here to do. Psalm 22 tells about what I'm doing right now. And if that is true, if Jesus is, is the most important human figure that has ever walked this planet, if this is the most important quote that Jesus ever made, then this reveals the essence of who, who Jesus is. And, and then anyone who is living in this world and wanting to understand what's going on in this world while living in it needs to understand the words of this song. So I want to spend the rest of our time exploring and examining this important passage and its implication for our lives. Suffering frustrates. When David was just a teen, the prophet Samuel came to his father and and said, hey, why don't you present to me all of your sons? And his father, Jesse, presented all of his sons except for David to the prophet. And after correcting Jesse, um, he brought out David. And there Samuel anointed David as future king of Israel. Now, David didn't tout the prophecy on his life. David didn't boast over his brothers and to his neighbors. How did he respond? David responds by submitting to, honoring, and serving the man who currently sat on the throne. The only man that stood um, in the way of David and what God had predicted for his life, David served. 
David cared for him medically. David put his life on a line for him through such acts as defeating Goliath, the enemy that everyone else was afraid of. David mentored his son. How was David rewarded for that? David found himself living in the wilderness, running from cave to cave with the man he lovingly served now seeking to kill him. It is believed that while he was hiding out in one of those caves that David wrote this song. This had to be incredibly frustrating for David, but that's what suffering does. Suffering frustrates us. David describes what causes him to become frustrated while in the midst of suffering in verses 1 through 10 of Psalm 22. What is it about suffering that causes us to be frustrated? The first thing about suffering that causes us to become frustrated is that suffering has a way of making us feel abandoned. Often in the Psalms, you see David crying out for vengeance. He's crying out for justice, but that's not what we see here. What we see here is suffering didn't drive David towards vengeance in this case. It, it, it drove him to plead with God. It drove him to plead with God not to leave him alone. It, it drove him to plead with God not to leave him to his own devices. It drove him to plead with God not to leave him alone to the thoughts that were bouncing around in his head. Not to let him slide into isolation. More than that, more than David wanted vengeance, David craved presence. When you're in the midst of suffering, do you, do you want vengeance or are you craving presence? Look at David's words in verses 1 through 2. He said, my God. Now, why is that significant? That is significant because when, when, when God called Abraham, when, when God made the promises to, Ab- to uh, Isaac and Jacob, when God sent Moses back into Egypt, when, when God called the Israelites out of Egypt into a place they had never gone but had always been promised to them, he said this. He said, your distinguishing characteristic will be my presence. Your ace of spades will be my presence. You will be my people and I will be your God. So David was saying that, that, that what I'm going through has caused me to forget who I am. What I'm going through has caused me to feel like I have lost consistency in my life. I, I don't know what to rely on. And if I can't trust you to be there when I call, then life is a loss because I have lost you and I've lost myself. Some of you can identify, some of you uh, or, or, uh, find yourself or have found yourself in a state of life where what you're going through has caused you to question everything. I mean, everything, like if God even cares for you. The seemingly lack of response of God in your time of need has caused you to become frustrated with, with yourself, with, with your family, with your friends, with your job, with your stuff, and ultimately with God. The second thing about suffering that causes us to become frustrated is that suffering has a way of humiliating us. When we are suffering, and especially when it goes public, uh, it, it can make us feel like the most intimate and sensitive parts of our life have been made bare for the world to see. Look at what David's words in verses 6 through 7. David said that, Everybody knows that he is homeless, that he's on the run, and it's making him look like a coward so much so that, that it's making him feel like less than a man. 
Some of you know what that's like. Some of you, uh, you and your family are in the midst of a hard time or situation, and instead of encouraging you, people are taking shots. They kicked you while you was down, and, and even though you, you, they, they, they tried, you tried to feed yourself this line that sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. But you know that's a lie. Words do hurt. Words can crush you. What others say can make you feel like less than a man, less than a woman, less than a husband, less than a wife, less than a son, a daughter, etc. Then this, it was not only that, that they made fun of David, but it, it, he said that they made and, and looked at verse 8. He said they knew his situation, and not only did they make fun, but they set him up for greater embarrassment. Have you ever felt stabbed in your back? Have you ever felt like, like someone did something to intentionally make your situation worse? When they had the ability, not, if not to make it better, at least to stop the bleeding a little bit? Remember that all the scripture, though, points to Jesus. Jesus is the hero and central character of all the scripture. Every situation that David wrote about points to Jesus. When Jesus was spit on, when he was mocked, when he was beat, when they drove nails through his feet and his wrists, uh, how did uh, he respond? He didn't say a word, but what was it that caused him to cry out? It was when he felt the father's rejection and separation. As Jesus suffered and went through uh, the passion, his enemies took every opportunity to make it worse. The cross was the most humiliating way for a man to die during those times. What was David's way out? What was Jesus' way out? It was faith. Hebrews 11 and 1 describes it like this. Hebrews 11 and 1 says, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Faith is trust in God's promises. Let me say that one more time. Faith is trust in God's promises, not our expectations, not our dreams, not our hopes, but faith is trust in God's promises. David, while in the cave in the midst of loneliness, reminded himself of how God draws near to those who are his in verses 3 through 4. David, in the midst of disgrace, reminds himself of how God provides strength to those who are weak and defenseless in verses 9 through 10. What about Jesus? Well, look at his words that he quoted after um, Psalm 22, 1. In John 19, 28, uh, he says, I thirst. He trusted the Father to provide for his needs in the midst of his suffering. Why? Because God has promised to supply our needs. Then he said in John 19.30, it is finished. The Greek word to telestai says uh, it, it means it is accomplished. It is complete, that, that it is finished. It's the same word that I have tattooed on my wrist as a reminder that this God who began a good work has promised to finish that good work. And then in Luke 23.46, he says, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. He's saying, I trust you with the totality of who I am. I trust you with my story. Has suffering caused you to become frustrated with life, with, with folks, with God? Or are you willing to follow David and Jesus' model of faith? Do you trust in God's revision for your life? Do you trust in God's plan for your life? Do you trust that the one who made you knows you better than anyone living or dead, including yourself? Suffering frustrates. 
suffering also fatigues. Another thing that suffering does is it, it wears you down. It, it fatigues you. It, 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 it suffering is like a dull, numb pain that never ends. It's like a, a toothache that just continues to go on and on before. Have any of you have ever had a toothache? And you just, you just, you just feel like your head is going to burst. David outlines his miserable condition in, in verses 11, and eight, 11 through 18 of this psalm. In these verses, David says that, that the cause of his suffering was so constant and so relentless that it seems like an inhumane force had to be pursuing him. It was like a wild beast with no moral compass was, was chasing him down and devouring him. Then he said that suffering had exhausted him to the point that he didn't know if he could recover. He said he was like water that had been poured out, like a bone that couldn't be reset, like, like a candle that had been totally disformed by the fire. Suffering had made his life just weary and dry, had sapped him of all his strength. It made him feel like he was at the point of death. Some of you can identify. You've been going through something, you're like, I don't know if I could go on anymore. The scriptures refer to Jesus as the water of life, but then on the cross we hear him say, I thirst. It shows Jesus' humanity, but it also shows how big a toll suffering can take on someone. The thirst that Jesus was experiencing was not only physical, but also spiritual. The separation that Jesus experienced while on the cross, while carrying the sins of all mankind, while enduring the penalty that we all deserve, caused the God-man to become depleted physically and spiritually. And when he found himself in this position, he committed himself and his situation to the care of the Father. Has suffering caused you to feel depleted, worn, weathered? Do you thirst? Paul said in 2 Corinthians, it was in his weakness at the end, at his end, that he got to his beginning with God. In Psalm 119.71, David said that my suffering was good for me, for it taught me to pay attention to your decree. Have you begun to see any way that your suffering may be helping you come to a clear knowledge of God? Has your suffering began to become useful? Suffering frustrates. Suffering fatigues. And in Jesus, there is freedom while suffering. Arthur Brene Brown says this. She says, when we deny our stories, they define us. When we own our stories, we get to write a brave new ending. She is not saying that you can control the future and prevent any future mishaps or hurts. What she's saying is when you acknowledge what you are truly feeling, when you acknowledge what you are truly going through, when you stop 
hiding and running, it frees you. What does it free you from? It frees you from the lie that sometimes you can start to believe as a result of suffering. David testified to the same thing in verses 19 to 21 of our passage. He said, I do feel isolated. I do feel humiliated. I do feel weary from the chase, but I serve a redeeming God. I serve a God that snatches me from the jaws of defeat. So even when suffering uh, thinks that I'm through, even when suffering thinks that it has finished me off, I serve a God that can be outdone. Jesus could find rest on the cross after sweating blood in the garden because he had a father that he could trust with his story and his emotions. Can God be trusted with your feelings, with your suffering? That's the question we must ask today. Has God proven in his word to be a redeeming and rescuing God? Suffering frustrates. Suffering fatigues. In Jesus, there is freedom while suffering. And because of Jesus, there is purpose for our suffering. It's often hard to see any real real purpose for our sufferings. When we're in the midst of them, we think, well, that is that was useless. But in verses 22 through 31, David shows us a different take on suffering. He shows a heart that experiences relief from suffering can be a pathway for unhindered praise. That unhindered praise is what we also sometimes refer to as a testimony. How does David go in with this? Look at what he he says. He says that because of what God has done in his life, because of what God has rescued him from, because of what God has sustained him through, that all the rest of creation, not only those that are living in his time, but those in times to come will come to know and praise and acknowledge God. James says this. He says, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, Consider it an opportunity for great joy, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Are people coming to acknowledge, praise, and serve God because of what he has done for you, because of what he has brought you through? It's simple. Save people, serve people, bless people, bless people, change people, change people, and found people, find people. If you've had your life restored by God, it is simply impossible to keep it to yourself. We are blessed to be a blessing. That was the promise given to Abraham all the way back in Jesus. The promise was not just for Abraham himself. The promise was... Through your seed, all the creation will be blessed. Who are you blessing as a result of what Jesus Christ has done for you? The greatest blessing you can give to anybody is to help them come to know God through his son, Jesus Christ. All the scripture points to Jesus. And in the Psalms, we see all of human emotion. And so in the Psalms, we see this beautiful mashup happening. We see part of what what makes Jesus so so unique. We see a a God who has endured everything that those that he has created will endure. We see what no other major religion offers. We see a God who suffers. 
In Jesus, we see that the one who was despised was also the one who was delivered. And since he is my deliverer, I am called to trust on him in the midst of suffering. We see in Jesus, the one who was alone was also the one who draws near. And therefore, since he draws near, I'm called to rest in him. In Jesus, we see that the one who was forgotten is also the one who hears. And since he hears, I'm called to Speak to him. What is the spirit calling you to say to him? At the beginning of our time, Braille shared a story of a spoken word piece of something that he is going through. He shared his hard situation. David took this song and he gave it to the choir director and said, make a song of it. Why would somebody ever want to make a song about their worst day? But he said, take this and make a song of it. You know, last week, my my four-year-old daughter was in an ICU. And and, and she had bled so much internally that she had filled up her whole digestive system with blood. So much so to the point that she was gargling on blood. And, And after being rushed to the hospital... And being poked and prodded and and rushed into emergency procedures as soon as her little 35-pound body regained a little breath. I could hear her in that ICU room begging and praying and singing, you are good, good, oh, you are good, good, oh, Now, I won't lie to you and say that my daughter understands high theology. I won't say that that she could define the Trinity for you. But there was something in the lungs of that tiny little body, that 40-inch tall body that said, yesterday I couldn't breathe. Yesterday I was sleeping in the image of death, and someone held me. If you had a choice... Wouldn't you make someone who hails you during that kind of time the king of your heart? If you had a choice, wouldn't you make someone like that the echo of your days? If you had experienced something like that, when suffering came, what other mountain would you run to? If you had experienced something like that, what other fountain would you ever want to drink from when you thirst? If you had experienced something like that, when trouble hovers over your life, who else's shadow would you want to hide in? If you had experienced something like that, how could anyone else ever be the echo of your days, the wind in your sail, the anchor in your waves, the fire in your veins? Who wouldn't serve a God like that? If you agree, this is how you get your start. You get your start by doing something we call stepping over the line of faith. And we step across the line of faith when we acknowledge that we don't raise ourselves up. We don't earn our way back to God. The only basis that we have for a relationship with him is based on the person Life and work of Jesus Christ. Amen. 
That's the only basis we have for a relationship with our Heavenly Father. And when we believe that, it's not what we do, but what Jesus done, we step across the line of faith from doing to done. If you've never made that commitment, then make it today. I'm going to pray in just a second, and I'm going to give you the opportunity to make that commitment. It's not the prayer that moves you across the line. It's the commitment that you make in your heart, and then it's going public with it. Brian is going to share in a minute how you go public with it. I'm going to invite you to pray a prayer of thanksgiving. What moves you is the decision that you make. Maybe you're in a time of suffering. Maybe you're still being affected from a time of suffering in your past. You feel frustrated. You're worn and you're tired. You feel bound up and restricted. You feel like life is useless and and everything that you went through is useless. In Jesus, we're renewed. In him, we find our rest. In him, we move and live and have our being. In him, we find our purpose. Let's pray. Father, we can't always explain everything that happens to us in life. Often we don't have the the answer or the solutions. And our only hope is you. It's to trust in your word. It's to trust in the things that you've promised. Father, help us to remember that you're faithful, that you're good. If there's someone here, Father, that's been struggling to do it in their own strength, struggling to be their best in their own power, hoping that one day they will marry a relationship with you. Father, I pray that today they will come to the knowledge and understanding that it has been done. That in your son, Jesus Christ, in his death, burial, and resurrection, that, that we have found favor in your eyes because of what he did, because of how he lived. And that they put their trust solely in him, in your work of raising him from the dead, that, that they are accepted. Father, help us to yearn for you in times of suffering. Help us to look beyond vengeance and crave your presence. We pray these things in your darling son Jesus' name. Amen.